Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Imprint Companion, a podcast that goes through batch by batch, release by release, the films from Imprint Films, a boutique Blu-ray label here in Australia. My name is Lexi Toliopoulos and joining me as always to discuss cinema, it is Mr. Blake Howard. Lex, hello my friend, how are you? I am very well today, all the better for seeing you and all the better for seeing some freaking movies, which is my favorite thing to do in this world. Absolutely. We're going to be talking about the June batch from Imprint Films. Mm. It contains many, many movies. It is a big batch. It contains the 1984 version of The Bounty. It contains the 2020 film Leap. It has a 2000 film, Milena. It has not one less from 1999 and My Summer of Love from 2004. And I know I just said and, meaning that it would be the last <laughs> film that I would list. But there is, in fact, one more. And it is from 1992. It is by Louis Mal. It's called Damage. We're going to kick wow. things off by starting with a film that we have both caught up with. I think it is a revisit for me, at least. Have you seen this film before? Never saw it before until today. I've I've probably seen pictures from it before. <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> I would guess. I would guess you've seen, seen a, a couple, few images from this film. Seen a couple of images in the Google image search from this one, but uh, no, I haven't. I've never seen it before. Well, let's start by talking about Giuseppe Tornatore's Malena. A world at war. A young man coming of age. And a woman who changed his life forever. From the director of Cinema Paradiso comes another look back at Italy during World War II. This is a little different from Cinema Paradiso, <laughs> yet it is still very sentimental. It is Malena, starring Monica Bellucci. Malena, played by Monica Bellucci, tells the story of the most beautiful woman in an Italian village who becomes a subject of malicious, malicious gossip among the lustful townsmen and their jealous wives. But only her most ardent admirer, admirer will learn the 
untold true story of the mysterious and elusive Melina, who inspires new heights of compassion, courage, and independence. Uh, I had seen this movie before. I remember my cousin was reading, I believe, I think it is based on a book. I think she was reading the book, yes, uh, or something. She knew about this story. My cousin is Sicilian, and... Um, I think we watched the movie together. It would have been just after it had come out on VHS or maybe early DVD. And back then I thought, you know, I was quite into Italian cinema. I loved Cinema Paradiso. And I was just like, wow, this is a great movie. And I think in my head I'd always thought, like, this is a great movie. Watching it back, this is not a great movie. <laughs> but this is a really dirty little rotten film, in my opinion. <laughs> Look, what we can say about Turnatore here, and I'll try and start with like what he's trying to do. I can really see what he's trying to do. He's putting a lens and casting his gaze on a very fascinating time in Italian history where it's like this self-actualization, fascism emboldens a couple of countries around, you know, World War II, especially Germany. It's the, it's the, it's the kind of like skeleton key to them rebuilding after world war one and then obviously they go on and do a many hor horrific and heinous things and um italian fascism under mussolini like that you know drastically changes and so it's this weird time where it's like this perfect time in italy it's it's a it's a time of growth it's a time of like you know burgeoning you know growth of the italian empire again it's got a lot of this stuff and there's a lot of raw people are feeling hope after world war one mm. and so it's interesting to see that like kind of false weird fascistic you know rah-rah hope that's happening so it's he's, he's trying to do something there and he's trying to use melina as like a document if you like as a case study through the eyes of a teenager who is completely you know it's it's fantasy it's pure voyeurism through his eyes of her experience of life. And it is trying to show the quandary of being a war wife, the quandary of, you know, um, living in these towns and under these sort of levels of judgment, the, the, the fact that a lot of the younger, you know, um, men were soldiers and were off at war and all of the kind of intrigue that happens in town and the gossip and all that sort of stuff. But it wholly adopts the eyes of just the absolutely worst pervy five times a day masturbating teenager you've ever mm -hmm. seen in your life and it, it, it feels gross it just is like it's it's it, it it by adopting his gaze solely it takes a lot of the nuance i think out of what the story actually is going for and rather than seeing nuance you just see monica bellucci's body firstly beautifully and like stoically and just like a pure object of fantasy. And then you see her like being punished for her body by being, you know, uh, being abused by different men and exploited and then being hated by the town because, you know, her entire life changes and she's desperate to sort of survive in this interwar period and, and be protected. And I just felt raw about this movie when I watched it. And I'm like, there's nothing sexy or sensual about it. It actually yeah. feels awful. Um, and Tornatore seems to love Monica Bellucci having to be accosted by the ugliest most disgusting yeah. people and i was just like it's just icky i, I didn't it's like a, it it's definitely a film about misogyny yes but i think it exhibits and speaks through misogyny as well so i don't i don't know it's not one that i would recommend unless you're really curious on the positive side it is shot beautifully it's shot by lajos coltai and uh who did mephisto a movie that i know you're a big fan of Blake. love that movie um, and but it also has an incredible 
exquisite score by Ennio yeah. Morricone. Like beautiful but, score. Like that's the thing is like from a pure yes. technical and formal standpoint, beautiful. The sets are amazing. The towns are exquisite. The color, there's something about, you know, you, you, my beautiful Greek, uh, uh Greek Australian prince would n- know this too, but it's like my friends have just recently gone a holiday to Greece to Mykonos and they take photos and there's just something about that Mediterranean sun. Mm. And it's just like, it's magical. It's like, it's almost like it's designed. Someone has tweaked a filter so that yeah. it'll look like a place. It looks exquisite. It's spectacular. It's the original uncut Italian version. So it's great. Um, but I just do want to shout out, like I, I didn't get to the making of Milena, but I did um, check out the life and dream of Giuseppe Tornatore, which is a 50 minute doco on him, which is great. You know? Um, so I would really recommend that on, on this disc because he's a famous filmmaker and he's, you know, had a massive footprint on international cinema. So it was interesting to check out um, that one as yeah. well. Yeah. He's one of those breakthrough filmmakers that kind of pushed European film in the nineties and two thousands and stuff that people yes. into mainstream, like Western cinema, people were getting into Giuseppe Tornatore. So he's a big filmmaker. It's a big release. Uh, like I said, maybe check it out if you want to, uh, <laughs> if you need a bit of a grub fest, you can't go too wrong. with <laughs> Next up, should we talk about perhaps one of the bigger releases in this, a mm. curious film. It is the 1984 adaptation or retelling of The Bounty, aka the mutiny that happens upon this ship. William Bly, Anthony Hopkins, was a real-life sea captain who in 1787 steered HMS Bounty on a 27,000-mile voyage into danger, chaos, and madness. After 31 days battling severe sea squalls and Bly's ever-increasing cruelty, the weary crew is relieved to land on the tropical island of Tahiti. But soon... Their tyrannical captain wants to set sail again, and the desperate men turn to first mate Fletcher Christian, played by Melanie Gibson, to help take the ship by force. This has been adapted many, many times. Many times. What is unique about this adaptation and this humongous box set of this release? You know especially after being so close to another great Australians film set on a ship, um, master and commander, the bounty directed by Roger Donaldson, another great Aussie, Aussie. another Aussie, um, really uh, takes to, I guess the hostility. If there's one thing that this bounty does, apart from just being the source of many of the greatest impressions uh, by Rob, Brighton in the trip uh, <laughs> movies um, is is this completely hostile and sort of toxic environment that comes on a ship. Like rather than say master and commander, Peter Weird has there's this wonderful sort of fatherly paternity fellowship of the men that's on that ship and order and structure and discipline and tough love. And there's a great relationship and there there needs to be this almost like harmony. But what's cool about this is that it kind of like Anthony Hopkins's Bly is not 
an honorable guy. He's a weird unit. And Anthony mm. Hopkins is a weird unit. And I think that Roger Donaldson gets this right from the outset. He's like, I need to make him do things. But every single time he does things that might be like a disciplinary action, might be something to build fellowship between the, te- between the crew, might be something like that. It always has like a perverse, almost like um, sadomasochistic edge that Anthony Hopkins okay. brings to it. And therefore, when you get to this island, rather than many times in a lot of these sort of uh you know it, it's sort of like that you know the the noble savage view when people go there it's like all these natives are usually so the tahitians in this instance are usually depicted with a lot of like uh disdain or they're weird or they're you know they can be manipulated by british rule etc but when you go to the bounty roger donaldson's film they they are hyper aware of their relationship with the british empire they're hyper aware that they're a trading route they're hyper aware that they have to kind of please these brits when they come in and and then make sure that they go away and don't upset because they know that there's a both tactical and military disadvantage that they're under. And so I really like that the harshness of the ship drive them out of this and they want to escape and they want to do anything, even if it means risking their lives and their reputations and doing that. And so there's such a softness and there's such a, a beautiful sensual allure that nothing on that ship, every hard splinter has. And I kind of enjoyed that about it. It doesn't age as well. It's not, it, it, it doesn't resonate as as good as it probably did at the time because it probably felt a little bit more um, radical in its uh, mm. sexual portrayals and things like that, like earlier on. But I think there were some really beautiful things in it. And there's just something that this film has in 1984 of like a gigantic ship built to actually sail, going to real locations and just wow. the 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 behemoth that must have been this film to build to go together and so i had a good time i think mel gibson is completely miscast as fletch christian really? um yeah i don't i don't think he's he's good at all <laughs> i think there's a couple of other people wow. who are really great on there liam neeson is one of the um, background players in this who he's quite terrific as this grubby um sailor who's kind of one of the key sort of people in the mutant uh the mutineers daniel day lewis is in this thing um as well at like in a bit parts like one of the last kind of bit parts that he'll ever do and you can see that you know he's almost like put me in coach like you know yeah. <laughs> he just wants to be one of these guys and i feel like daniel day lewis would have acted the pants off of mel gibson in that fletcher christian role but um it's it's really it, it's got some it's got some highs and 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 it's a massive set so if you were like even remotely fond of it the first disc is from a 4k scan of the original negative it has a roger donaldson and bernard williams who is the producer and production designer john Graysmark commentary it's got historical sultan Stephen, uh historical consultant stephen walters doing a commentary it's got making of docos on that disc the second disc is like all these brand new interviews, all these brand new docos, all these um, brand new uh, like uh, uh, documentaries and stuff like that that are all coming together. It's and, and a couple of essays. It's sensational. Um, the pack, wow. the box is huge. It's epic. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a funny one because it's it doesn't quite work. But it's I don't know whether it's just us not being used to like true big epic movie making anymore but like mm. there's something about it that i like it. it was very transfixing for me and it was actually my first time ever watching it i'd never i've seen other mutiny on the bounties of course but i'd never seen this um yeah. and just watching it uh, i i almost couldn't watch it because of the trip because i love those movies so much and so i just kept doing the impressions on my couch while i was watching it but um <laughs> but, but but it's it's you know maybe worth your while if you're if you're a bit of a seafarer um uh and you want to get this in your collection man this is the this is the one to get it's massive wow Interesting, interesting. Gosh, 
Mm. What a curious film, and I'm glad it's got a big release around it like this, because you can kind of, like, dig into it. Because all I really heard about it is that the the screenplay was apparently very good and quite in demand. I remember hearing David Lean was originally going to direct it before Jumping Ship, if you will. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm curious to get into it. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Blake, what's the next film that we should be discussing in this batch? So next up, we are going to jump over to a 1992 film with Jeremus Iron and Juliette Binoche. It is Damage. I ought to introduce myself. I'm Anna Barton. I'm sure she's very nice. Stephen Fleming thought he had everything life could offer. Hello, Martin. Hi, Dad. Any news? He was wrong. He's got a new girlfriend. This is Anna, my father. Nice to meet you. Hello. And look up. Miss Snow here. I'm a friend of the minister's. Give me your address. I'll be there in an hour. My childhood wasn't all wonderful. Roots aren't that great unless something else comes with them. Like what? Passion. All through dinner, I just wanted to touch you. I don't trust her. I've just asked Anna to marry me, and I'm pleased to say she said yes. Of course, he's not Anna's usual type. Mother. Are you sure she's really what you want? You don't know her. When we're alone, she's like no one else. Couldn't see past you. Must never worry. I'll always be there. Don't follow us. Yeah, hello. Nobody. I've never had feelings like this. I have to get them into some sort of order. You must get out of the way. Who are you? Who are you? Not enough. Not enough for you. Do you think I would have married Martin if I couldn't be with you? Why didn't you kill yourself? You should have killed yourself. It's the end for us. With love comes risk. With obsession... Martin! Martin! ...comes damage. I thought you could control life. There are things you can't control. Academy Award winners, Jeremus Iron and Juliette Binoche are lovers locked in the grip of sexual obsession. An obsession so strong, it drinks passion, breathes fire, and consumes, consumes everything and everyone it touches. Academy Award-nominated director Louis Mal peels back the layers of one family's tragedy to reveal a middle-aged man, Irons, and his son's fiancée, Binoche, entangled in an intensely erotic affair that is as irresistible as it is destructive. Lex, you saw this one. I had this in my player 
before uh, flipping over to watch one of the films we covered in the last uh, episode that we did together, Bus Riley's coming to town. Um, so tell me what you thought of Damage. Damage is a nice, weird, little, grotty thriller from Louis Malle. I love Louis Malle. My dinner with Andre Elevated to the Gallows, Au Revoir, L'Alphonse, uh, The Fire Within. So many great films. He is one of the great filmmakers. Uh, this is... Uh, it's tense. It's a weird little movie because basically Jeremy Irons plays like this British politician uh, from like, you know, quite a well-to-do family that's very well-connected. Um, and his son starts dating Juliette Binoche and it becomes a serious relationship and she's this kind of damaged person. Everyone in this movie is damaged. That's why the title works so well. Wow. That's what it says on the tin. <laughs> that he and his future daughter-in-law have an immediate connection and they begin to have a freaky little affair. And when I say freaky, the sex scenes of this are freaking... They're freaky. They're like <laughs> slapping each other, like weirdly throwing their arms at each other while they're sleeping with each other. It's really... Uh, I, honestly, it's strange. My partner walked in while I was watching this movie and I was like, yeah, I, I'm watching this. I'm sorry. This is a strange movie. I love um, this so many times where my wife Sam has walked into my office where, where, where I watch a lot of my improved films and I've got a great telly in here and for the UHD and stuff and I'm watching it and so many times she walks in and there's just the most bizarre sex scene playing. She's like, what are you watching? And I'm like, well... This is part of the job, you know? It's a tough well, part of the job. <laughs> this is the one that she has to walk in on next because it is uh, <laughs> it is an odd one. Try and but it's it like up. That, ten that tension that quite works. It's like that kind of... That idea of trying to keep something a secret, it really works here. Obviously, Jeremy Lyons is great in it. Juliette Binoche is great in it. But Miranda Richardson, who plays his wife, mm. is electric. Amazing oh wow! Amazing performance. She was even nominated for an Academy Award. Really? And I believe won the BAFTA for this film. Uh, it might be my favorite of her performances. Like it's just wow. really good, and she has like this really stinging pair of monologues towards the end of the film that are just some ferocious freaking acting. Uh, I really enjoyed Damage. I um, had such a good time watching it. If you like those kind of like. You know, I don't know if it's a genre, but affair thrillers. Yes. This is quite an affair a thriller. intense little small one that has really big impact. Like the, the direction this film goes is is really interesting. Uh, I give it a big recommendation. I I, I mean, I love Louis Malle. It's hard to not to. So anything where he explores something a bit fucked up and twisted like this <laughs> is pretty cool. <laughs> Get that on a poster. Lex, what are we covering next? I think we've got time for one more film, and it's one that you've had a chance to catch up with, and it is My Summer of Love. What's your name? Mona. I'm Tamsin. Drop by if you're bored. I'm here all summer. So it's just you and your brother in your pub? He went inside and he came out funny. He went to prison. If I can be saved, anybody can be saved. Yeah. I have prayed for my sister, because I know she's in turmoil. Apparently, I'm a bad influence on people. God, you're quite beautiful. Who is it? I think it's your brother. 
He's a very attractive man, your brother. There's something with that girl going on inside her. I love her. She loves me. We're going away together. Are you ready? Yes. Serious? Yes. Not joking? Not joking. Okay. I have a real problem believing in anything. Ask love to come into your heart. And he will. What's going on, Tam? By Pavel Pavlovsky, uh, Oscar-winning filmmaker of Ida and Cold War. It is an early film from his career, 2004. Kindred spirits from different worlds become entangled together one volatile summer in this passionate psychological thriller. Local girl Mona is a naive, reckless and filled with yearning for something more in life. Tamsin, played by Emily Blunt, is spoiled and bored and trying to escape the confines of her prep school existence when she draws Mona into her fantasy world. But what started as a magical friendship soon becomes laced with deception and anger. My Summer of Love was met with critical acclaim on its release in 2004 and was nominated for five BFI awards and won the BAFTA for Best Film in 2005. It also stars the man of the moment, Paddy Considine. Blake, what did you think about this one? This is one that was not really on my radar at all till this release. I have like kind of faint memories of it being a bit of an art house favorite on release, but I didn't get a chance to watch it. I'm envious because you did. Yeah, it's it was kind of... It was not what I was expecting in the best possible sense because Mona, who's the main character, played by Natalie Press, she's a small-town kid and she's gotten herself into trouble. She's a bit listless. She doesn't know what to do with her life. Her and her brother own a bar, but he goes to jail because he's sort of um, gets caught up in some illegal activities and he comes out of jail and he's like a bit of a born-again Christian, converts the pub into a place of prayer and her entire life is all up in the air because she no longer has a job. She no longer has her family business. Her brother is completely different coming out. And really it's, it's a bit of an awakening to like the selfishness and the callousness of people around you and trying to find comfort and trying to find direction because she's so listless and everything in her life has been all up in the air. She's been exploited by everyone that she's there. And she feels like she builds this amazing connection with Tamsin played by Emily Blunt and starts to have this awakening. And so they, there's this kind of love story that starts to happen and she feels like she's making genuine connections. She feels like she's making grow. She finds someone who she can really confide in and be a part of her world and is really brave and busts the fluff and shows her all the hypocrisies that are surrounding her. But that is an orchestration. And it becomes this thing where she gets entangled into Emily Blunt, just kind of like playing with her as a plaything, having this imagined world for a summer fling. But it's like that same, it's almost like the, I don't know, the cautionary tale of a summer fling that it is made up. You know, you are buying into a a view of the world just for, you know, a summer period, a few months, and then that's it. And I think the bite, um, from Pavel Pavlikovsky is why it was so well received. It's because it's like, you've got this working class kid who's trying to, fo- 
trying to find some direction in life who gets lured in by these people who are exploiting her in many different ways, whether it's her brother controlling her saying that she's a sinner, whether it's the person, the girl that she loves, you know, lying to her. Um, it's, it starts to be this awakening where she starts to kind of see the ugliness of the world. And so it does have a bite and it, it, it feels like very, it feels very kind of, um, you know, art housey and lovey, but I think as you get to the, the ending of this movie and it, and it sort of like, it sheds all those art house tropes, um, the conclusion of the movie is exceptionally moving. So I had such a great time with it. And I think that Natalie Press's performance is really terrific as is Patty Considine's and Emily Bunn is great as always. But um, I, I had a good time with this, like not kind of being, not kind of being a, in a firm position on it until the end, but once the end happens and you kind mm. of see the ugliness of the world, it's not something that I would say that you're going to get a lot of mileage out of. You're not going to want to revisit this thing every year, but having not seen it, it was really excellent. And I had a good time watching it. And it is that, you know, I know that you and I have an affinity for these movies, but it's like the small town with the dark secret and the dark secret mm. is that everyone is lying to themselves and the, and the, and the reality of the world that is around them. It's, it's like how people buy into their existence or live their existences by kind of writing their own story, even if it's not the truth. And I think that, um, you know, Mona, Natalie Press's character is the truth, you know, by the end of it is it, she can cut through the BS um, and she's completely aware of what the world is. And so that was kind of refreshing. And I, I had a really good time um, by the end of this movie that, you know, it had really, it had really hit. It had resonated for me by that moment. Wow. Okay. Interesting. It's not. It's almost not at all what I thought this film would be. I think. Uh, I, I, I don't it looks. Know like, it looks I like a. It, it looks like a sexy, sensual, mm. bullshit art house movie. And in some respects, yeah. it is. But I think by the end of the movie, the the twists and turns of this tale and how you see it all come to its conclusion. I think is the turn. I think it's like everyone is watching this movie going, I've seen this art house movie 500 times. And I think what is yeah. really powerful about it and without sort of going into the nitty gritty of the spoilers is that when, when you are confronted with the reality of what we're seeing and what we have seen and, and you start to, you know, it's just cast a light on everything that you've seen to that point. I was like, nah, this is really good. Like the, the, cool. the payoff, the juice is worth the squeeze. So yeah, I think it's cool. definitely worthwhile for you to check out. And um, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I don't think there's any like wild slapping sex uh, scenes that you need to be too concerned about in this one. But um, um, so so not to be too worried about watching it on the big screen in your lounge room. But uh, that's 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 what I thought of uh, my summer of love. Great. Well, that brings us to the end of our conversation of the July batch, of the June batch of imprint films. Next time we reconvene for this podcast, we're going to be going through the July batch, which is. A bit of a monster. It's Three a monster. massive box sets. One of them uh, with featuring some works from Gene Hackman. The other one is a massive Walter Hill box set. And finally, a Sidney J. Fury directed by a box set as well. Huge. Three huge big releases. We're going to try and tackle as many as we can in them. But it is a mighty task. So we will see how we go by the yeah, time we'll, the episode comes we'll, out. We'll, we'll try and... All we can say is we'll... Definitely try and break some of these box sets into individual episodes. I think the Walter Hill one is enough for us to chew on. There'll definitely be a whole one on that box set. We'll try and get the Sid Fury and Gene Hackman's under control. But if you're just counting this batch in July 
in the Walter Hill box set, there are one, two, three, four, five, six films, including an absolute uh-huh. behemoth of, of special features, including commentaries by one of my favorite film critics and Walter Hill chronicler, Walter Chaw. You then go into the Sid Fury box set. You have one, two, three, four, five films um, in that one. Um, so that's now count them. That's 11 films. And then if you then go to the Gene Hackman's, there is another four. So that's 15 films Amazing. in the next batch. It's absolutely unbelievable. And then August is coming hot on its heels. So very excited to talk to you guys about that. I'm so thrilled, Lex, that we're just going to pour through. And I'm going to, uh, I'm, I, I can tell everyone here, check me if, you, if you're not following us on Letterboxd, you can find us there as well. Um, um, I'm one blank mm-hmm. minute on there as well, but you'll check in my diary. I'll be I'll logging all of the Walter Hills, then all the Sid Furies. I'm going through a big marathon in order, in spine number order to rip through wow. both of those, even though I've seen a couple of them before. Um, but I'm so excited to see them on Blu-ray. And The Driver, 1978's film, is on the 4K, 4K. which is so yeah, exciting. 4K. A mix of blue fantastic. and 4K. I watched it yesterday. Uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, well, very can- cool. Cannot wait to talk to you about it soon. Guys, thank you so much. Make sure you continue to follow. You would have heard more about it last episode, but go and follow um, the Total Reboot feed if you don't already, which is um, Alex, uh, Alexi Toliopoulos and Cam James's show is now Special Features, a new way to mm-hmm. tackle culture. It is now the Special Features feed, Blake. It's a Special Features feed now. Oh, no you've checked- Total Reboot. No, no longer the Reboot. Okay, excellent. The Special Features feed exists. The boys are talking pop culture over there. Check that out. It is terrific. I've really enjoyed their um, their Tom Cruise discussions. Um, uh, in, it seems like two episodes because it was the best movies of the year so far. It's a little bit of Mission Impossible chatter. Uh-huh. Um, and then the Tom Cruise rankings. Very good. Excited to hear more there. And of course, wherever you're listening to this, One Heat Minute Productions is where I'm at. More episodes of Podcaster and Commander, Miami Nice as a staple, um, new audio essays coming up soon as well, and uh, a couple of big series coming in the back half of the year that are starting to take shape. Midnight Run Through and The Great Muppet Caper. No, The Great Henson Caper about the life <laughs> of Jim Henson uh, with Ethan Warren. So excited about that one. We'll catch you on the next monstrous size batch unpacking of the July bundle of the Imprint Companion soon. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.